0: Turn in your Bibles to Judges 16, verse 4. We're going to start reading there in just a moment. But I've entitled this sermon today, Dancing with Danger. This is the most well-known part of Samson's story. Concerns a disastrous affair with a shady young woman from the Valley of Sorek named Delilah. Scholars believe that... She was half Samson's age, probably 20, and she was drop-dead gorgeous. And we're not told how they met, but you can imagine Samson saw her on the street and got, uh, you you know, googly eyes for her and uh, pursued her. 20 years have passed for him, and he hasn't learned his lesson since the first time. 20 years since the first woman at Timnah that he was with that he shouldn't have been with, the Bible tells us, because she was of a different culture and a different faith and God said to Samson, you can't mess. You shouldn't mess with them. But he doesn't listen. And you know, if you dance on the edge too long, you'll eventually fall. I remember my son Aaron, he must have been eight years old. We were on vacation and three of us were in the pool. Candice was about five and we were playing and having fun saying, come on in. And the pool wasn't heated very well for some reason. He didn't want any, anything to do with that cold water. But uh, he got up there and we were laughing and talking to him and then he started dancing for some reason and and he was around the pool and he was teasing like he was gonna fall in and then one time he turned and didn't know where he he was and he took a tumble backwards that just slayed us all. We were laughing so hard as he paddled to get out of that, that cold water. And here's the deal. If you get on the edge too much, you can be there for a while. Someone said, Pastor, you're preaching about the edge. I hang my toes off this thing most of the time when I preach. But I'm familiar. One of these days, I'm going to go down. But I'll just, I'll, I'll just get right back up. It won't be too dangerous here. But if you stay on the edge too long, eventually, you'll fall. And that's what we see as Samson was dancing with danger all along the way. Judges 16.4, sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. He'd gotten away with it all the previous times, being where he shouldn't be with who he shouldn't be, but this time his sin would cost him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd come and reveal your love. You don't want to hammer any of us. You just want to bless us. You don't want to condemn us. You just want to protect us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would learn from the wisdom of your word and apply it to our hearts today. Holy Spirit, move among us and move in each heart, I pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. That's the deal. God God loves to touch us collectively, but he wants to touch each individual heart with the message to strengthen the individual today. Three thoughts that I see out of this that I want to bring forward. And the first is this, watch the company you keep. When I was a um, district youth director, I used to be involved with about 20 youth camps a year, and I would speak in several of those camps, and I would travel, and I I got to travel regionally and and, and, uh, even across the United States a bit and, and preach in some youth conventions. And one of the things I would speak to the kids about on a regular basis was the company they kept, especially in public high schools. You better be careful who you hang around with because they can bring you down. What I've learned in life is it's not just the kids that need to hear it, but it's also adults that don't seem to get it sometimes. If you're in a relationship where someone who is not a believer is influencing you in a negative way to go against the, the truth of God, then you need to get out of that relationship until you're strong enough to influence that person instead of being influenced. On another day, I'd give a sermon about reaching out, and I really love, Jesus was a friend of sinners, and he hung around with unbelievers. I love it, but Jesus was never pulled down by people either. He always lifted them up. And we need to have our faith in such a place where we can lift others and bring them to Christ. If they're pulling us away, we better be careful. Watch the company you keep. Samson didn't. Sometime later, verse 4, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong so he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. I think it's interesting to point out that Samson probably didn't look strong. You know, we have a, you know, you look at the poster and we made him strong on the, on the poster. But the fact that he went from city to city and wasn't recognized probably means he wasn't a big, huge buff guy, right? Because people would know who he was. He was in these, these foreign cities and they don't know who he is. So he's probably not that big. And the fact that they, in this story, start to say, tell us the secret of his strength might mean they must know it must be magic or God or something because he couldn't do it on his own. So he's probably just a normal looking guy but he's seen as really strong. Can I say to you that as strong as you may feel, you could still fall if you hang around in the wrong environment with the wrong people for too long. If it's not about Jesus, if Jesus is never showing up in your communications, then you better be careful because they could be pulling you away more than helping you. Samson's in the valley of Sorek. This is the border of Judah and Philistia, I should say. It was on the edge of the border. He was living on that edge and he would cross over from time to time. And on the other side was the place where the enemy dwelt. It's a dangerous thing to hang on the edge near the camp of the enemy. This time he found a woman in the valley and he fell in love with her. It's a dangerous thing to hook up with people who don't love God. On July 31st, 2009, three Americans, Sarah Shroud, 32, Shane Bauer, 28, and Joshua Fatal, 28, were detained by Iranian border guards for alleged espionage and crossing into the Iranian territory while hiking in the Iraqi Kurdistan region. Now, I listened to that story and I thought, what were they doing there? I mean, I wanted them to be freed and I felt some compassion, but it's like, you're really that close to the border and you're not very concerned about it? Now, either they accidentally crossed over and they were captured or they were so close that the Iranians were ticked off and just snatched them. When you walk on the border into a place that you should not be and start to say, I don't know what they were thinking. Hey, I'm not afraid. Enemy can't get me. I think I see Christians that, that way sometimes. I'm not afraid. I can go in there. I'm fine. Really? All I have to say to that is better men and women of God than you have fallen in those circumstances, and better men and women of God than me have fallen in those circumstances. And we all need to be careful. Don't play it on the edge. Samson did. First Corinthians 15:33. "Don't be misled. Bad character, bad company, character in another version, corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. And that's, that's the Lord saying to us, if you hang around people who don't love God and have bad character, it can be their mouths, it can be their lifestyles, it can be the things that, that they value, that, that the enemy uh, uh, wants you to fall into, but, but God says, admit it, bad company. Can corrupt good character. I hesitate to say this, um, but I heard of uh, someone who committed suicide that was once associated with our ministries, and I just heard it this week. It happened two years ago. They haven't been around for a long time, and it made me it made me so sad. Evidently, they got into uh, a drug culture. And um, I'm telling you, I loved them and they were sweet. They were just as sweet as they could be. And it makes me so sad to know that the enemy took hold of one and destroyed that person. I don't know how. I mean, the drug culture, right? You're usually around people that pull you into it. I, I don't know how it happened, but it did. And I think God, if you'd understand his heart of compassion, uh, he, he just wants to protect us and bless us. And so when he says these things, he's, he's not saying, I don't want you to have any fun. As one person has said, God didn't come to take away your fun, he came to take away your pain. 2 Corinthians six fourteen you're not the same as those who do not believe. Do not join yourselves to them. Now this is talking about, another version says, be unequally yoked. <clears throat> and we use it for marriage, but it really is all relationships in life. All of our closest relationships. Companionship, partnership, those kind of things. That's the thought here. Do not join yourselves to them. Good and bad do not belong together. Light and darkness cannot share together. Now that's the word of God. Some people think, if I just said that to you, you might think you're making that up. No, I'm not. It's His. It's His. It's his stuff. 2 Timothy 2.22 Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Huh, so if they're kind of trying to bring you into a culture with these youthful lusts, run. Instead, pursue righteousness or righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. And I think, I think the positive should be emphasized in this scripture. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. That's, that's where you belong in fellowship. You can reach to those who know not God with love and you can meet with them and bless their lives if you can influence them instead of being influenced. But even then, when you're reaching your closest friends, your deepest companionship should be with those that are believers. That's where the fellowship is. In Christ. And those who call upon, I guess it's important to say that there are some believers who are not calling upon the Lord from a pure heart. Ladies, if there's a guy who calls himself a Christian and he's trying to get you to sleep with him, get away from him. He is not living out the truth of the word and you don't need a guy who's gonna lead you like that. I think it's important to say that Delilah, she started to pout when she was trying to find all the the, the, the way of the strength of Samson could be destroyed. And She started to pout and said, if you love me, you would. If you really love me, beware of the person who says, if you love me, you would. Beware of the person who says, if you love me, you would. At the least, it's emotional weakness that needs to have healing before a serious relationship can take place at the most it's the plan of the enemy to steal kill and destroy and i say ladies and i guess guys you can say this too if the, when they say if you love me you'd have sex with me you say to them if you love me if you really love me you'd wait cuz that's what the word of god says Ladies are always wanting to lose weight. Listen, if you have a boyfriend like that, I'll tell you how to lose 180 pounds. Drop him right now. <laughs> Second point today hold on to what you have in Christ. Delilah pleads with Samson for his secret. Samson says, Well, if you buy me with seven fresh bowstrings not yet dried, I'll become weak so he falls asleep and she does that and he, she says the Philistines are upon you and he wakes up and breaks it all loose and then she says you've mocked me with your lies tell me what is it and then he says if you bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used I'll become weak so she binds him with these ropes he must have been drunk pretty good not just sleeping because he's not feeling this I'm just speculating there But she says, Samson, the Philistines are on you. And he wakes up and tears the ropes loose. And then she does it with, he says, the seven braids of my hair, if they're woven into a a loom, the fabric of a loom, then I'll be bound. And he wakes up again and tears it all loose. And she says, you don't love me. You really don't. And then finally, he's been dancing on the edge, dancing with danger, and finally... He gives up the secret of his strength. If you cut my hair, if you shave my head. He fell asleep. She brought someone in who did that. In verse 19, Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap, and then she called in a man to shave off his seven locks of hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before, and shake myself free. And then one of the saddest lines in the Bible. But he did not realize that the Lord had left him. I don't know what your theology is, and I I don't know who goes to heaven and hell, and I'm sure glad I'm not the one who chooses. But I know this. At some time, at some point, sin can cause the Lord to depart in a major way. Persistence in this over and over again with no regard for what God says. And can I point something out here? Samson left God a long time before God left Samson. Samson went his own way and did his own thing and I I, I don't want to seem like I have a lack of uh, compassion, although I'm not a very good counselor. You don't want me to counsel you because if you come in and you have problems and, Sin's attached to it. I'll just say, stop it. Stop. That's, that's basically all the counseling I do right there. So get get someone else. I'm, I'm more of a preacher. But one of the things we've noticed through the years is is, is often I see people who come in and they're broken. They, they haven't followed God. They haven't lived with God. And sin has just overtaken them and destruction and pain and heartache. And I, I care for them and I we want to bless them and help them and get Jesus to them. And that's, God's always for redemption. You know that, right? I mean, if you don't want Samson to be delivered, you've got a problem. If someone's hurt you in life and they were once something for God and now, and then they did something wrong and you don't want them to be delivered, your heart's not right. Because God's heart always wants to redeem. I'm not saying that you need to make yourself vulnerable and be in a relationship where you are wounded before. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying God's heart is to redeem people. God will, do, will show his grace one more time in Samson's life. We'll talk about that next week in next week's sermon. But when people come and they're hurt like that, it's interesting to me that they start to blame God and say, well, God didn't do this and he didn't do this. And so these are people that don't care about living the truth of what his word says and haven't followed him in any way or even tried and they're, they're gonna say, God... You left me? I guess the question is, who left who? I don't think, I don't think God punishes people because, because of their sin immediately, but sometimes he'll just remove his covering and we'll be vulnerable to things. It's like we're saying, we're gonna, I want to go my way, not your way. And God says, okay, then I love you. I wish you'd be careful, but I, I guess you're on your own. I don't want to be on my own. I just don't I want his covering I want his blessing we all need it all of us could fall his hair was a sign of his con- consecration or separation that's what the, the word in the Hebrew for Nazarite uh, the definition is an unpruned vine which means his, you know, his hair the Nazarite vow is don't cut your hair and it was a sign of his dedication unto the Lord and his consecration to the Lord. But I found it interesting. So he's losing his he's, his separation from the world. That it's a sign that he is leaving. It's a broken relationship with God when his heart gets when his hair gets cut. It's a sign that it's been broken, but that word is also used in the Hebrew and other passages, 2 Samuel 1.10, Zechariah 9.16, Psalm 89.39. The same word that's used for Nazarite is used, but it's translated as, uh, uh, in, in, in this sense, royal crown. When I say don't lose what you've gained in Christ, I find it interesting that, that it says in Revelation that we, we have a crown. Samson's long hair was his royal crown and he lost it because of his sin. Charles Spurgeon says there's a a thousand razors with which the devil can shave off the locks of a consecrated man without his knowing it. He comes with subtle temptations and if we yield, he puts us on a gradual decline. And if we want, you know, we want to, I'm just concerned about the abuse of grace these days. You heard it last week a little bit coming from my heart. Dietrich Bonhoeffer referred to it as greasy grace. You can do whatever you want, and it's okay with God. He still loves you. It's true that God loves you, but it's not true that he'll bless your sin. You just can't find that in the Bible. We pay consequences for it in this life, even if we're believers, and he'll come and put you on that gradual decline. And if we always say, well, the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God, and we pretty soon we're on that gradual decline, we've gotten so deep and bam, we get hammered just like Samson did. Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, I don't know if you know him, but he's a great man of God. And he was doing the funeral of a, a man who was an icon in the days of Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel is a great network of churches. Um, a denomination of sorts, but they, they, they just teach the word and worship and, and purity, and I love the Calvary Chapel fellowships. And, and one of these men, this man he's doing the funeral for, Chuck Smith's doing the funeral for this man, and he had been an icon, but even though he'd done mighty things for God, his life had often been plagued with sin that would show up, Unresolved. And he was given eventually over to perverse passions, and his sexual appetites led him into bondage. And over the course of his life, he caused considerable damage, leading others astray and causing division among believers. And ultimately, he died of AIDS. This author I was reading said he went to the funeral knowing that this guy had been a big deal in Calvary Chapel in the early days, and knowing that Chuck Smith was doing the funeral, the leader of the Calvary Fellowships, and... He wondered if Chuck Smith would be honest at the memorial service, right? Because have you ever been to one where you you just want to go up and look in the casket? And is that really the guy they're talking about? Because it doesn't match up with the life I saw, you know? But Chuck Smith did the memorial service, and he cared about the man, yet he chose to speak the truth. And here's how he eulogized him he called him a Samson of a man. And then he went on to talk about having a saved soul and a wasted life. You know, there's some things that are stolen from us when we, when we go away from the truths of the Lord and the enemy gets his hooks in us. There was an anointing stolen from Samson and there was an anointing stolen from this man who had once... Done great things for the Lord. Revelation thirteen eleven says this: "I am coming soon. Hold, hold, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown." Samson's consecration, that royal crown, was shaven off because he said, "I don't value this very much." What's, what's taken from us? You know, it says we have a royal crown or a crown. What's, what's taken from us? Did you know that God wants to give you peace? John 14, 27, I am leaving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So the world says they have this way and it's pleasure now. Short-term pleasure, long-term pain. But God says, look, I'm not trying to ruin your fun or your pain. I'm just going to show you the best way. And if you follow me, one of the things I'll give you is peace. And I'm going to tell you, not every believer has God's peace. Some people say, well, you know, when's that abundant life going to kick in? When's that peace really come?' Well, look, follow him. Be a follower of Jesus Christ, not just professing him, but following him. Let it be important to love the way He loved, receive the love of God, walk in truth, not just grace, grace and truth. That's what he was full of, the Bible says in John 1:14. And peace comes. He gives you the best life possible on this earth. The thief's purpose, it says in John 10:10. 10 10. These are the words of Christ' it's to steal, kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them, that's us, a rich and satisfying life. Isn't that cool? That God wants to give you a rich, he wants to give me a rich and satisfying life. That's what he has for us as we follow his ways. There are those who think the world has so much more to offer. Well, listen, I'm just here to tell you, and I'm, I'm not proud on this one. I've been down both roads. I've lived a life apart from God doing things I shouldn't do and I've lived for Jesus for a long season now, it's not even close. The rich, satisfying life is in Jesus. That's where it's found. Your sin will eventually find you out and bring you pain. I found that out. Everything they told me growing up when I became a prodigal, I found out it's true. You get across those boundaries and bam, the enemy hammers you. Well, thank God for godly parents. And I just want to say to parents, show the boundaries even though your kids aren't following him. Don't give up on the boundaries because I knew where to come back to after I had sinned because my parents showed me where the safe boundaries were. And the moment I got hammered, I came scurrying back saying, God, you were right. Mom and dad, you were right. I need to follow the Lord with all my heart and have my own relationship with him. But you know, you you get the feeling that you you live this... um, Victorian life and it's not very fun when you're a Christian and that's what the world wants to make you think because, you know, these things of drunkenness and sexuality and, you know, you just need to let yourself go and enjoy life and end up bowing to the porcelain God the next morning. You know, that's, that's seen as something that's somehow, uh, you know, an amazing life. Well, let's talk about sexuality for just a moment because we can't, we can't escape it here because it's what it's about, right? In these passages with Samson. So we got to talk about it a little bit. Um, it's, it's amazing for some people to understand that since God is the creator and he created mankind, pe- people don't understand that he created sex. He did, it was part of his plan. A man and a woman coming together, right? I mean, the plumbing and everything, it all, it all worked, that was God, he did that. And he did it for this amazing union. Of intimacy, and here's his plan, between a man and a woman committed to one another for life. That's God's plan. Now in that plan, did you know if that plan's followed, there's, there's no, and, and people are faithful to their spouse, that there's no venereal disease? There's none. There's no AIDS. It'd be wiped out in a generation if people would do it God's way, starting now. But it's like, you know, they say, well, you know, it's better if you sleep with multiple partners and let yourself go. And they make it about the physical act. You know, the enemy's plan is to pervert, right? Now, here's, this is a trip, but God's the one who made it pleasurable, too. He did that. That was part of his plan for a man and a woman, confined to the intimacy of marriage. But the enemy takes that, and he perverts it, and he says multiple times with multiple people, and here's what happens he knows it he knows what he's destroying he's destroying the ability to be intimate because it's supposed to be for these two and it's blessed and it's wonderful and it's what he did it's it's two people in marriage man and a woman but he wants to destroy the ability for people to stay with the spouse for life and that that's what that does. Now listen, when you come to Christ, I, I feel like I need to talk about this for a moment too. I'm, I'm just pastoring now. This is not in, in my notes. Lord, help me get this right. <clears throat> um, what we need to speak of here if, if when, when it comes to repentance is unresolved sin. But I'm very aware that some of you have, you, you know, not many of us haven't sinned in multiple ways in our lifetimes, Right? So, there's no condemnation here, but I want to tell you one of the things the enemy does. The enemy will ha- try to hammer believers and remind them of their problems way back there when they messed up. Uh, I was one of those people that messed up. And so, I remember early on when God was calling me um, to Him to be a pastor, I did not want to be a pastor for several reasons. One, my parents were pastors. They got hammered. We were poor all the time. And I didn't, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. And then two, I I wanted to, uh, I wanted to be a Christian, I wanted to be a businessman, Christian businessman. Um, But I remember when the Lord was calling me to be a pastor and he made it obvious to me. I just kept saying to him something like this, but don't you remember Jesus? I'm the guy who messed up. I'm the prodigal. And how can I stand before people and tell them to follow you? I mean, when I didn't do it. Don't you remember Jesus? And you know what he kept saying back to me? I'm sorry, I don't remember. I don't remember what you did. Because the Bible says he takes sin and he casts it into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought up against you again. Now, you and I don't have the ability to completely forget. Human characteristic, I mean, we can hurt ourselves by remembering so much what someone did to us. But God in his sovereignty chooses, and his omnipotence, his all-powerful love chooses not to remember. So that voice that was coming to me and reminding me of my past sin, when it when I wasn't living it anymore. Now, if it's, here's the deal. If you, if it's resolved in your life and you're not living there anymore, don't let the enemy hammer you. If it's not resolved, then we got something to take care of to get you on safe ground and in a safe place and blessed towards your future. But if it's resolved, understand that part of the plan of the enemy is to just waylay you with guilt. So here's what, I'm gonna tell you how to, how to overcome that. How do I know from personal experience? The enemy would come and hammer me about things. And I, at one point, I just decided every time, the, and see, we don't, we don't really understand that. We think it's our, we, we think it's our thoughts. Did you know the enemy can give you thoughts? He can't make you take them. But when he said to Jesus, cast yourself down from this high place and prove that you're God, and, and, and um, he made the temptation, he was speaking Uh, to, to Jesus, and he can whisper in our ears too, and sometimes we just don't recognize that temptation is from him, we think it's our own thoughts. But he'll come with a thought sometime to just get you. And when he would come with those thoughts of condemnation and where I'd been and not worthy, here's what I did, and this is what you should do if that's the case for you. I just, every time he started to do it, I'd just say, Jesus, thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that your grace has covered my life. Thank you that you will use me in the future because it's not my power, but your power that can get it done. And you know what I found? It wasn't long until the devil stopped speaking to me that way. You know why? I guess he decided if all he's ever going to do is praise Jesus when I do that, I'm going to try to find another way. And I would just say, if it's resolved, take his grace. Don't let him beat you up. And if it's unresolved, take his grace. Don't let the devil beat you up. Because God's forgiveness and his power is awesome and a tremendous blessing. He tries to lie. He says the best life, it's these things. It's sex and drugs and alcohol and temptation over here. But I came across this this week, I thought it was interesting, Linda Waite and Maggie Gallagher are authors of a book, um, The Case for Marriage, and they used some stats that they, uh, they pulled from various resources, but they said this, married people have better sex lives than single people. Indeed, married people are far more likely to have sex lives in the first place, Married people are about twice as likely as unmarried people to make love at least two or three times a week. And that's not all. Married sex, I'm reading now, married sex is more fun. Certainly at least for men, 48% of husbands say sex with their partners is extremely satisfying compared to just 37% of cohabitating men. So these, these men are having sex too and, and they're in a house with someone but they're not, they're not in a marriage relationship. And I say, if you're really committed to one another, stand up in front of everybody and say we're committed and, and seal the deal, you know, because that, you, you know, you don't open the package until, until you're, you're, you're committed. And anyway, 37% of cohabitating men said it was satisfying. And it was 48 of the married men, extremely satisfying, I should say. And when it comes to creating a lasting sexual union, marriage implies at least a promise of permanence, they say. Which may be why cohabitating men—listen to this—cohabitating men living together with a woman are four times more likely to cheat, and cohabitating women are eight times more likely than husbands and wives to cheat. That ought to tell you something. As, as, as. Uh, as you look at the word of God and the truth of God, he's trying to protect and bless. He's not giving you less with sex, he's giving you more. He's giving you that special, amazing intimacy that he decided would be a wonderful part of a relationship between a man and a woman who are committed to one another for life. It was his deal. It's right, it's good, it's his way. It's just, and I just illustrate that because the devil, just, he just throws out a bunch of lies. He's, he's a stinking liar, the devil is. He just is. Don't. If you've believed differently, call him what he is and come close to Jesus. Samson didn't come close. He didn't discipline his body and he lost his crown. He lost his prize. He traded away. Blessing, anointing, right relationship, rep- reputation, legacy, and wholeness all gone. All for an immoral woman who didn't really care about him. He didn't even have to give up on sex. God would have given him a wonderfully beautiful godly woman to be with that he wouldn't follow. She would have had character and blessed him in every way. Not just sexually, but every way. Don't trade the amazing blessings of God for the garbage of the world. You ever hear this scripture, 2 Peter 2.22, but it it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again. And, it, and another version says he eats it. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So a dog returns to its vomit and a pig returns to the mud in the mire. Have you ever seen a dog throw up and then go back and eat it? raise your hand if you've seen that before. I've I've seen that. And I want to tell you one of the ways that my body works wonderfully. I have a great gag reflex. And um, I've seen that before. And it's just hard to stomach. I don't know what the dumb dog is thinking. Warm meal? I don't know, you know? Their brains, they make one turn and they forget, and bam, they're back again. I remember years ago... My wife, Karen, was very sick and she threw up in the bathroom. I know it's hard to believe that the wonderful, gorgeous Karen Russell could throw up, but she did. I got her permission to tell this story, just so you know. I've been around a bit. And I love my wife, so I wanted to go in there and clean that up. And I said, Karen, I'll take care of it because she could barely stand, she was so sick. And I went in there, and I was in there about two seconds, and I went, and I rushed back out, and she said, oh, I'll take care of it, and I go, no, 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 honey, I I got it. I grabbed a rag, I held my breath, I went in, I got on the floor, I start cleaning it up, and I had to take a breath, and And I I rushed out again, and she goes, honey, really, I'll do it, and I go, no, 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 I got this, and I went back again, it was really close, and I said, maybe you should. Karen, because if you don't, I think there's going to be more to clean up here in just, in just a moment. I can't even imagine. Now, I know I'm getting gross, but that, you know, this is in the Bible. I, I can't even imagine eating it again. Really? Really? And yet, as gross as that is, you know, we're people who've come to Christ. We've known those things that were of the world. We've sinned like that. We come to Jesus. We start to get blessed. It all looks good. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what, we get disconnected with God. We get discouraged. We get distracted. And we look at what we once had and we say, hey, I think I'll partake of that again. And here's the deal it's vomit, it's returning to the mud and the mire. Don't do it, it's no good. And God says, I want to warn you, I don't want you to lose what you've gained. I don't want you to lose the crown, the joy, the peace, the love that I have for you. Don't do it. Ephesians 2.6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the, and listen to this, I just, I, I, just, I have underlined in your notes that you're writing for small groups, Incomparable riches. I love that. I just want, I want you to think about that. What Jesus has for you, not only for eternity, but in this life, is incomparable to anything that the, that the enemy and his ways could give, could give you. It's the riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now the third point today, living the dangerous life is eventually going to cost you. Anybody notice that that's really similar to my third point last week in my sermon. Some things are worth repeating twice. Judges 16, 21, so the Philistines captured him and look look what happens to the mighty, mighty man. They gouged out his eyes. He messed too long. He danced on the edge. He was dancing with danger. And though the grace of God was extended, though God was patient, eventually God departs. And he loses his eyes. If he kept control of his eyes, he'd have never lost them. But he let him wander. And they took him to Gaza, where he was bound. So now, I mean, this is what sins does. The, the binding comes. The addictions with bronze chains and forced him to grind in the prison. Captive to the enemy now. You've heard me say in a positive sense that if you keep them dancing around the pool, they eventually fall fall in. There's a negative sense to that too if you're in a bad spot. So let me give you a new dancing around the pool quote. If you're not supposed to go swimming, then quit hanging around the pool. The enemy goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. MSNBC.com carried this story about the residents of an apartment complex in Delaware. They reported a foul smell coming from a unit where a 45-year-old man lived alone. No one had seen the man for several days and wondered if something terrible had happened. And when the police entered the apartment, they found that indeed something terrible had happened. Something more terrible than any of them could have imagined. The man was dead in the middle of the floor, surrounded by eight rattlesnakes and two cobras. His pet snakes. Evidently, he'd left the cage door open or the latch unlatched. And they got him. What makes a guy buy a cobra instead of a puppy dog? I don't know, it's cool. I'm not afraid of danger. Well, they call it danger because you ought to be afraid. I remember being with Pastor Doug on a hike somewhere in Eagle Creek up near Hood River and I remember he stepped over the fence and he looked over the edge like this and he was close and he was like a thousand feet and I go, get back here. And he talked me out there a little bit, and I got close, and I couldn't do it. I just jumped back. He said, you're afraid. I said, no, I I prefer to think of it as a a keen sense of (laughs) self-preservation. Of a keen sense of understanding the consequences of falling from this distance. (laughs) Well, we need to be careful. What, What makes a guy have a rattlesnake for a pet? What makes... What makes a guy Facebook an old girlfriend? Dancing with danger. A married guy Facebook an old girlfriend, I should say. What makes a married man flirt with a woman who's not his wife? Danger, danger, danger. There's a lot that can be lost. This is the third woman this guy's pursued who knew not God, who lived a lifestyle against God, and this time it cost him. It's true that God is forgiving and patient, and boy was he patient with this man. 20 years, right? Psalm 145, 8, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Now, just so you know I, know, I know it's not popular theology, but God gets angry Sometimes. He's slow to anger. Sometimes he gets angry. I know that's not popular, but it's in the Bible. But he wants all to come to him. He's patient. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think, and that's talking about his promise to come back. No, he is patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. (laughs) Repentance is to turn and go the other way, right? You're living this way. To repent is to turn and go completely the other direction. Where is that being spoken of in the church today in America? Repent. Personal responsibility. Your will, his power kicks in. The moment you start to take those steps towards him, bam, you're empowered gets easier. He's patient. He's loving, but he wants repentance. And even though it's true that he's patient and loving, it's also true that if we carelessly sin without effort or regard, we'll eventually suffer consequences for that sin in these in this life. Numbers 32 23 But if ye will not do so, this is King James Version, behold, there's a message for somebody. I got a message for you too. Listen to this. But if ye will But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Whoa. Even though he's patient and loving. Proverbs 1321 Trouble chases sinners, while blessings reward the righteous. And that means those who are trying to live right. I'm telling you, there's a reward for trying to follow, for following God's path. There's a reward of purity and blessing and covering. Would God ask us to live righteous lives if he wouldn't help us do it? So here's the deal. If if hidden sin is a problem for you, don't keep repeating the transgression and trust God's will will continue to cover it. Or God will continue to cover it. Stop right now. Stop. Repent before your life and the lives of the lives of others is affected. What's it cost? Well, let's see what it cost. Samson. It cost him his strength. His strength in the Lord zapped. It cost him God. In that sense, twenty years of neglect with his relationship with the Lord. And God departed him, the Bible says. The presence of the Lord left him. It cost him discernment. That sad portion of the scriptures where he did not know that the Lord had departed. Did you know that people living a lifestyle of of sin can't discern the will of God because they're not connected to God? The Bible says the natural man does not understand the things of God. It means the person that's separated from the things of the spirit. And you lose your discernment when you fall into these things. You, You can't even see it right. It cost him his sight because his eyes were literally gouged out. It cost him honor. Look at verse 21 of chapter 16, what happened to him. He's humiliated. It cost him his freedom. He's bound now and in prison. It cost him his comfort. He has to grind, push a grinder around in a prison. Now, uh, I I could be seen as as, as, a... Cocky here, and I I don't, I don't want to be, but I I feel like I want to share something that the Lord would have me share. When we follow God's ways, lives are blessed, and I'm, I'm, I'm struck at times by the fact that Christian marriages are nearly divorcing at the same rate as unbelieving marriages, and uh, you know, there's multiple reasons for this. I want to be sensitive to the fact that it takes two to be committed in a marriage and if one is completely committed and someone else forsakes them or leaves them, um, that marriage can't stand even though they're doing the right thing, right? And God allows for us to marriage if our, or to, to divorce rather if our, <clears throat> if our spouse has committed adultery. That, I mean, it's such a deep wound in the heart that God says, I won't hold it against you. Jesus said, you're permitted to leave that Relationship because it's been sabotaged and devastated, and trust trust is hard to rebuild. And you don't you don't have to do it if you don't want to. According to the Bible, that should that should scare us a little bit too to be faithful to the Lord, so we don't lose so much. But when people follow God's ways, now this is what I'm coming around to. It, it works. So let me talk about my family. This is a part where I hope you don't think that we're you know, thinking we're a big deal and we're more special than others because I really don't believe that. Karen's parents, Al and Jane, have been married for 54 years. They're happy, happy people. They love Jesus. They raise their kids to love Jesus. They follow Jesus. They tithe, they give, they serve. They're committed to God. And their lives, I mean, mean, in some sense they're normal, but in another sense... They've been full, and they've been incredible. They follow God. My parents have been married for 55 years. Think of that. we got almost 110 years of marriage between our parents. And I know that's not the story for everyone, but hey, here's the deal. The story starts today for some of you. It's now. It's a new generation. You're the one that takes it there. Now, my my mom would say that they have been married 55 years and 52 of them were happy. That's what my mother would say, I think. Because my dad wasn't there in the early days. he, He made some mistakes. But here's the deal. He came to Jesus. Mistakes without Jesus. He came to Jesus and in the midst of a marriage that was really hurting my parents, when he came to Jesus, he went hard after God. And he came closer and closer to Jesus. And I saw my dad grow from the day he came to Jesus and he's still growing today at 82. He amazes me. And because they hung in there and they followed the ways of God, 55 years and dad's cat fishing and bass fishing and I've got a picture I took last year when I was there of mom and dad walking down a trail. It's kind of a silhouette and they have their hands together. Well, you know, they're they're in their sunset years anyway. And I just, to me, it's just an awesome picture that they've walked through life together. I'm gonna tell you why, because they followed Jesus Christ. I know that people mess up and make mistakes and God loves them, but, I, but can't we every now and then say, hey, there is, there is an opportunity here. Karen and I in December will have been married for 30 years. So, so we're, we're hoping to hit, get beyond that half century mark someday too. One of, the, one of the reasons that uh, we've done better is is we we had some pretty pretty awesome examples. But here's the deal: we argue at times. Um, we've we've had struggles at times. I can think of one season that was pretty difficult. And I would say overall we've we've had a great marriage and bless, but because we know the tools, man. <laughs> because we because we know the tools, because we've seen it lived. Because we know it's possible, and because we really have a heart to follow Him, we love and forgive, and we grow, and we come closer to Jesus. It's awesome. It's awesome, man. All I have to do when life's going bad is stop and think for just a moment. When I think of my wife and kids and what He's given, He doesn't have to give me anything else because I'm really grateful for that. And here's what I want you to know. He just wants to give it to us. He does. That's, that's, That's what he wants to give us. So let's not think about where we were and what's behind. Let's just think about now. Let's go forward. It's a new day. It's a new generation. And he's gonna help us. Romans 8, 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation but it is not to the sinful nature, right? You are not obligated to sin. You don't have to sin. Verse 13, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live.